Uh, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis, chapter 39, and uh, we'll do that with one hand, and then we'll want to turn to the book of James, uh, chapter 1. Two passages, and we'll refer to the James passage early in the message, and, uh, but you'll want to hold both places. So, uh, Genesis chapter 39 and James chapter 1. And we'll begin with James chapter 1. I'll give you a moment to get there. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And then in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, uh, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And so Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had uh, he put under his authority. And so it was after, that, after the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. And thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that the mas his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has into my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. And how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not uh, heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men were uh, 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 was uh, none of the men of the house was inside. That she caught him by the garment, saying, "Lie with me." But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that uh, he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. 
And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left the garment with me and fled outside. And so she kept his garment with her until his master came home. And then she spoke to him with these words saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us to come uh, came into me to mock me. Uh, so it happened as I lifted up my voice and cried out, Uh, that he left his garment with me and fled outside. And so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant uh, did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. And then Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners uh, were confined, and he was there in the prison. And so in uh, that ancient culture, a... Uh, in, uh, rape or an attempted rape that was a capital crime so the fact that he didn't put Joseph to death uh, meant that uh, he probably didn't believe the story entirely and uh, so let's pray now for our time in the word this morning Father thank you that even as Pastor Tom shared that your truth endures through every generation and we are thankful that it applies Uh, in every generation, no matter what the advances in technology or medicine, uh, we are the same people morally, we are the same people spiritually, we have the same spiritual, emotional, relational, uh, intellectual needs. It can only be met by you. And we thank you for the privilege of being able to turn to your word this morning. And we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit And then right now, before we begin to study the passage, that um, you would give us a a fresh consciousness of whatever it is that your Holy Spirit wants to speak from this passage into uh, our life and our relationship with you this morning. And uh, we are eager to hear and to receive. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning in our uh, gleanings from uh, the book of Genesis series, we come to one of the most famous events in Joseph's life, and it is his temptation uh, by Potiphar's wife. And we remember that Joseph had been sold into slavery uh, by his brother to Ishmaelite uh, traders, and uh, who then brought Joseph uh, as they continued their journey to Egypt, to Egypt itself, where he was purchased as a slave uh, by a man uh, by the name of Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh, a captain of the guard. He had a prominent position in Egypt. Uh, His responsibility was to guard and to assure the safety of Pharaoh and his family, a tremendous position of responsibility. And so uh, having a position like that would have made him a very strong man, a very tough-minded man, and uh, no-nonsense kind of guy. And in our passage this morning, we're told that uh, as Joseph became a slave in in Potiphar's house, that the Lord's favor upon Joseph uh, in that position was so great that Uh, Potiphar himself, having nothing to do with the God of the Bible, recognized uh, it. And he proceeded then 
to place everything associated with not only his house, but his fields, his entire estate, uh, entrusted them to the oversight uh, of uh, Joseph. Remarkable given uh, Joseph's age. And, uh, and he did so to such a degree in this delegation that astonishingly, uh, he was content to live so confident in Joseph's uh, gifting and decision-making that all he was aware of related to his entire wealth and estate was the food that was be put before him each day in, in order to uh, eat. And that was the level of control and decision-making uh, that he had given to Joseph and the degree in which he had trusted Joseph. And all of that then sets the stage for uh, the te great temptation to sin uh, that followed in Joseph's life. And I think that surely the subject of temptation, you could teach on it all of the time, and it would be uh, a needed subject for us to hear uh, because of the fact that it's something that we simply live with every single day as Christians and as people in this world. It's been said concerning trials that uh, every single one of us as Christians are in one of three relationships with a trial. We are either in one, uh, or we're going into one, or we're coming out of one. This is our continual experience with trials. And the same thing can be said equally uh, related to temptation. And the issue is not whether we will be uh, tempted on a daily basis or continually, uh, but uh, how we will handle the temptation when it comes, including uh, sexual temptation as it's addressed here, especially in our uh, Western culture, in United States culture, which is so very sensual and uh, so very immoral. Now, on the subject of temptation, and this uh, takes us for a moment into that James passage, uh, it is important to understand uh, what the temptation to sin is and what the temptation to sin is not. And, uh, and uh, a temptation to sin is merely a temptation. And the temptation to can, sin can remain a temptation and never in, enter into the realm of, of sin. And the reason I mention this is that oftentimes Christians, until uh, they become aware of this, they will uh, feel badly about themselves or they'll think they're, uh, you know, deeply unspiritual people or what kind of a Christian am I? I seem to be uh, tempted all of the time and they... They think it's a mark of unspirituality to be tempted in life and in the culture. And uh, nothing of the sort is, is true at all. This idea that if, if we were truly spiritual, we wouldn't be tempted uh, at all. And, uh, and, uh, but you notice in verse 13 of that James chapter 1, uh, the concerning temptation, that's that great word, when... And, uh, and God uh, speaks to us as none of us are going to escape temptation uh, in, in this world. It's not, never a matter of if. It is always a matter of when. And so God warns us that we'll all be tempted by sin, but that we can handle temptation uh, in such a way that it does not lead to sin. And in verses 14 and 15 of the passage there in James chapter 1, 
uh, it tells us uh, what happens in the progression of when temptation remains temptation alone and doesn't become sin, and the line that is crossed when temptation actually becomes uh, sin. And temptation becomes sin when uh, temptation unites with uh, my desire or unites with my will. And at that point in the verses, uh, in the, uh, the words of verses 14 and 15, and specifically in that word uh, conceived at that point, when temptation meets my will and my will embraces it, at that moment then, it ceases to be a temptation and now it is moved into the realm of sin. Sin has now been conceived. We know from uh, human reproduction that uh, the uh, conception occurs when the sperm and the egg unite. It takes two things to produce uh, conception. And this is, of course, what is in mind uh, as James writes this first chapter. And so uh, uh, that word, in fact, conceived as it's used there, it means literally to take or to receive together. So conception always occurs upon the uniting of uh, two things, and in the same way, uh, temptation becomes sin when it's able to unite then with my will. And I, I illustrate it this way, is here you have uh, the, your will, and here you have the temptation. And when temptation comes into our life, and our will resists it, uh, then it remains merely a temptation in our life. But when temptation comes into our life and it comes to our will and then our will embraces uh, the temptation, now it's united and now you have the conception of sin uh, at that uh, moment. And the battle is always won or lost in the realm of the will and, uh, or, or in the realm of the heart long before any sin ever takes place in, in an outward kind of expression. And that's why in the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, uh, verse 14, the backslider in heart, we're told, will be filled with his own ways. That backsliding always occurs in the heart before it ever becomes a part of something we say or something that we do. Now in Joseph, God has given us something that's really, really invaluable. Uh, he's given us this uh, rubber meets the road, a, a, a flesh and blood example of how to handle uh, temptation in a, in a victorious, uh, proper way. It is important as we read this, and I don't know how you read the Bible or what you know, kind of dawns on you as you, you do read it, but... Uh, remember that Joseph, as we read this, uh, we've already read it, so we know what happens here. But Joseph, as these events are occurring, uh, they are in the present tense for him. He is in the midst of, uh, of, of the event. And so he doesn't know that it's going to end up in the Bible. This is something he's experiencing in, in lifetime, in the same way that any of us would and, uh, and, and he handles it now in such a way that it could be put in the Bible as an example for us for how to handle the temptation. You notice the temptation that Joseph faced here, and a little background here is helpful, I think. 
Joseph here at this point in time in his life. We know that he's somewhere between 17 and 20 years uh, old. Uh, We know from chapter 39 now in in verse uh, 6 that he is a very attractive young man. He is uh, the the entire package, you you might say. He is handsome uh, in terms of his face, and his physique is is, uh, uh, just as attractive and just as appealing. He is also a man uh, to whom God has given great dreams, and uh, God has great plans uh, for this young man. A little bit here is revealed to us about Potiphar's wife as well as uh, Potiphar's wife, uh, the wife of an officer of Pharaoh. Uh, She was undoubtedly very, very attractive. In case you haven't noticed, uh, powerful men uh, tend to marry uh, very attractive women and uh, uh, whatever their looks might be. And uh, so she was probably uh, very attractive. And I have no doubt of it. I mean, if she looked like Ma Kettle, uh, there would have been no temptation at all here. Uh, Joseph wouldn't have needed to run. He wouldn't have needed to flee. He could have just stood there and argued with her over the cloak, over the robe. He could have said, give me the robe. I'm not leaving here uh, without it. But he doesn't do that. He flees. He uh, ultimately in dealing with this temptation. She tried to seduce Joseph, and so she makes herself completely available to him uh, sexually, and then uh, even comes to the point of, of taking hold of him. Now you stop and, and think about the power of that temptation. It is really just to immerse in a sense of feeling the power of, of that temptation to a 17-year-old young man uh, in a strange land uh, very, very far from home. And that's about as strong as a temptation can uh, get in, uh, in life. And, and Joseph could have easily uh, justified sinning in this way in his mind, I mean, he could have said, God has given me these dreams, and he doesn't seem to be taking these dreams uh, seriously at all. Why should I take them seriously at all uh, either? What difference will it make if I engage in this sin or I don't engage uh, in this sin? Uh, uh, People who uh, study these kind of things, and I always wonder about people who make a lifetime of studying these kind of things, But they tell us that between uh, the ages of 17 and 20, it is uh, in that period in in which a male's uh, sexual desire is at its highest for their entire life. And uh, some of you may protest. I know we've got a co-ed audience here this morning in your homes and so forth. And and you might protest and say, "What, what is this? Is this a sermon on... Uh, humans' uh, sexuality. I, I don't know that I want to know this. And what's the point of it? And the reason that I bring it up is f- for the point that uh, Joseph is going to stand in the area of not some marginal temptation in his life, but in the area of what represents perhaps the greatest temptation he could have faced at that moment in his life. 
And in doing so, he provides us then with instruction on how to stand in the face of even the greatest temptations in life, even if presently for where you are in life, uh, our temptation happens to be different from his. And so we notice the things that we can learn from Joseph about how to properly handle uh, temptation in our uh, lives. The first thing that I see here is in verse 10. We notice that Joseph deliberately endeavored to keep a distance uh, from this temptation. And so apparently she had been endeavoring to tempt him for some time uh, prior to uh, the time that she caught him in the house empty and grabbed him by uh, the robe. Uh, Someone has observed, and I think very, very insightfully, uh, concerning all of this, that uh, when she could not prevail by coaxing, a long period of coaxing, uh, she then attempted an ambush. And it's exactly right, and it is uh, true of the devil as well. When he cannot prevail by coaxing in our lives, uh, he will arrange an ambush. And the devil has a lot of methods in, in his arsenal. And so Joseph, he didn't put himself near temptation needlessly, and that is a very, very important lesson from uh, his life in this regard. And it's so important that we do not live our lives near the uh, cliff edge Uh, of sin. And you notice there in verses 11 and 12, everything is going great. He's managing the situation well. He's minding his own business. And then, bam, out of the blue, she goes from coaxing now. uh, Here is the ambush. And if if at that moment, uh, Joseph had been living near the edge spiritually, then the force of that temptation would have taken him right over the edge and, uh, uh, and, and the cliff into sin. And I think that so often in our lives as Christians, especially when it's been a long time since a, 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 a very, very strong temptation has perhaps come into our uh, lives to sin, that there can be a tendency to then uh, drift towards the edge uh, a cliff edge as it relates to our uh, weak area. And every single one of us has uh, a weak area in our lives, the area that represents uh, the greatest place of vulnerability to us, uh, to a temptation that the devil would bring uh, into our lives. Sometimes when we're new Christians, Uh, and we're kind of in that bubble of the Holy Spirit, and everything is so new, and there's that uh, special grace that's upon our life that seems to be during that time, uh, and everything seems so effortless and exciting in the Christian life. Uh, The new Christian can kind of look down upon anyone uh, that even uh, feels as if they're uh, tempted. I mean, so insulated they are so often, in, uh, in the joy of those, uh, that early part of the, uh, their Christian experience. But, but also at the other end of the extreme, it, after a few years, after we've been Christians for a while, 
we can begin to think that we're uh, something, that we're hot stuff in this regard. And uh, God is blessing our lives, and we can convince ourselves now that we have reached a level of spirituality that doesn't require us to be as careful about temptation and sin as we once were. And then after a few years, we can turn around, find ourselves living closer to temptation than we uh, ever even allowed ourselves as new Christians. And that is a spiritual pride. That is an arrogance related to temptation and a casualness related to it that's very, very uh, dangerous. And then so often what happens is this wind of temptation uh, will come down upon us And if we're living on that edge, then there's nothing that we can hold on to, and we go right over the edge into sin. And the people who stand in the face of temptation are people who, uh, like Joseph, they, they stand as far as possible from the cliff edge of sin. It doesn't mean that they won't be hit by temptation. Uh, They will. And the temptation may come down as a great wind, so to speak, that comes against them, and it can even uh, buckle them with surprise uh, for the moment, but they're far enough away from the edge that it, that it doesn't take them over and they remain safe. And Satan is very, very good uh, over the long term where we think, oh boy, I'm not being attacked at all by the devil. And yet he's working very, very uh, craftily uh, in, in working to put us to sleep in this regard and, and to getting us to move uh, toward the edge in a way that we, uh, we would never have done in our early Christian lives. And then, uh, bam, all of a sudden, he blasts loose on us this, uh, as he spots us near that edge uh, of, of the cliff, and he, and he blasts loose on uh, us with a, uh, a, a great tem, uh, temptation. And I'll tell you how often it, uh, I've seen it through the years where there's just this quick uh, gust, uh, so to speak, of spiritual warfare and temptation that will hit the body of Christ. Sometimes we have temptations. In fact, this is most often the case. We will have temptations, and it's just us. It's an individual thing that is happening. Uh, us, God, the devil, and, and, and the dynamics of our relationship with God. And it's very, very individual. And, uh, and then sometimes it'll be against a marriage, so it's a little larger circle, or a family, a larger circle yet. Um, but occasionally, there'll be this, uh, some kind of a spiritual warfare, a temptation that then comes against the body of Christ as a whole. And, and when, like a wind, it hits you, if you're on open ground, if you're on secure ground, it'll knock you sideways for a step uh, or, or two because of the surprise of it. And it can even shock you in terms of, uh, wow, that was strong, that was even scary in terms of the power of that. But you're all right because you have firm ground all around you. And that firm ground is established in temptation uh, by building our lives uh, on, on the rock of obedience to God's Word. 
But for the person who's living right on the edge of the world, the edge of temptation and sin, that wind comes over and they go right over the edge. And there have been a number of times through the years where that'll hit and you'll go, wow, what in the world was that? And I mean, you even remember it for uh, months later. Boy, that was really, really intense. And then after a while, you'll hear about uh, a person uh, falling at that same time as we got clobbered. And for me, in, in my calling, sometimes I'll hear about a pastor or two uh, that fell in, into sin and committed sin and, and, uh, and disqualified as a result of it. And you hear, wow, it was right at that moment in time, uh, it looks like we were all getting blasted uh, 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 together. And, uh, and then you realize when that kind of thing happens and, and, uh, and we get exposed in that way that a person uh, felt that they had everything under control, not realizing that this temptation bigger than they'd ever experienced before, perhaps, or ever realized could happen, was coming. And uh, they needed to be much further away from the edge than they were. And so Satan doesn't honor all of these kind of little rules and lines that we set up in our own minds. Uh, he is a destroyer. And this is one of his, his devices. And so uh, we must not structure our lives uh, to uh, withstand uh, Satan's uh, coaxings. Uh, we must also structure our lives to withstand his ambushes. The second thing that we notice here is that Joseph said no to the temptation. In other words, he refused to embrace it. He wouldn't allow his will uh, to, uh, to embrace it. And saying no to temptation can be done. And sometimes uh, we need to have just that truth alone be uh, delivered to us uh, as Christians. And uh, that, that we can say no to any temptation and we can withstand temptation uh, in the power uh, of, of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's an important truth. And uh, I can say no to temptation and, and to realize that. And, uh, and the reason I make a point of this from this passage is that the idea of saying no to the flesh or no to sin is completely lost within the culture uh, that we live in. It simply is not nurtured uh, any longer. And so now it's a foreign concept in the world in which uh, we live. And, uh, and, uh, and because it can become so foreign, uh, we might find, as if we've been conformed by the world, the need to practice it. Uh, just a little bit, to look in the mirror in the morning. And when you look in the mirror in the morning, you are looking at the enemy. Uh, you are looking at the flesh. And to just be able to look in that mirror and, uh, and uh, say no to yourself in that mirror. And uh, you, you might be even surprised as you would do it. It actually feels very good to do that. And, uh, and, it, and there's, a, there's a faith, there's something good that happens inside to even say no to the flesh in, in that context. And every time we say no to the flesh, it's kind of like uh, heavyweight boxers delivering these body blows in, in, these, uh, in, in, a, in a fight. Uh, the flesh loses a little steam. 
One of my favorite quotes concerning temptation in this regard is that the life of holiness means saying no to the flesh 10,000 times a day. And it's uh, true. But I want you to notice in verses 8 and 9 that Joseph didn't just say no, but that he said no uh, for good reasons. And uh, our no's have to come from uh, deeply held principles. Uh, our, our no's that we direct toward uh, temptation to sin in our lives, uh, they, they need to uh, come from the Word of God in order for us to withstand uh, temptations. And in that vein, uh, the third thing that we learn here from Joseph is that Joseph said no in verses 8 and 9 because he had considered the consequences of sinning ahead of time. And there are always consequences uh, to sin. In verse 8, in effect, in effect, he's saying, this wouldn't be right to do uh, to your husband. He directed it to Potiphar's wife. And what uh, Joseph realized, he realized how far-reaching this sin would be, that it wouldn't just affect him and Potiphar's wife, but it would affect others as well. And uh, what that tells me here is it tells me that he had thought through the consequences of committing the sin ahead of time. And it's one of the most important things we can do in our lives in resisting uh, temptation. Take any temptation that you or I are facing today. And, and there's a wide variety of temptations we can face in life to begin the day. And, and you just take in, in your mind, what is the one or two greatest temptations you're facing today? And, and just acknowledge them within your mind. And then to take some time today, some time in the immediate future, and sit down and look at that, that temptation and say, if I succumb to this, what will be the far-reaching consequences of this? And, and that will be an important part of then determining not only to resist the temptation, but to resist it for a good reason. And to stop and to think about how far-reaching that uh, consequence of that sin would be in my life. What it, would it do uh, in my marriage and to my marriage? What would it do to my spouse? What would it do to my children? What would it do to my grandchildren? What would it do to my reputation? What would it do to my ability to uh, hold on to this job and to be able to make uh, money? What would it do uh, to the church? What would it do to my relationship with God? Uh, what would it do to uh, people within the church? What would it do to uh, the reputation of God before my unsaved uh, friends and family members and the unsaved world? And I've known so many men, and now increasingly it's women in, in the uh, sexual freedom of the culture that we've in, uh, but it, we're in. But through the years, men who, after uh, leaving uh, their spouse to engage in an affair 
and, uh, and all. After one week, uh, they, they would have given their right arm to have their wives back, to have their family back, uh, to, to go back a week in time. And what that tells us is that they didn't consider the consequences of what they were about to do ahead of time. Additionally, I never read this account concerning Joseph without the distinct impression that uh, while he's in the middle of that temptation with uh, Potiphar's wife, that he's trying to figure out at that moment uh, what decision he's going to make in the middle of, of the temptation. But it's clear that Joseph had settled the issue in his heart of what he would do ahead of time, what he would do if he faced such a, a, a temptation. And if a person finds themselves in Joseph's situation, and it's only then we begin to try and figure out, what am I going to do in the midst of a temptation like this, then uh, most often we're going to be absolutely uh, sunk. We're going to be in real, real uh, trouble. Temptation is an issue that needs to be settled daily uh, within our lives as Christians. In fact, every morning between us and, and God, Jesus knew it, and that's why Jesus taught us to pray daily. And a part of that daily prayer uh, has to do with temptation. And uh, that closing part of what we call the Lord's Prayer, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And why would, out of all of the things that Jesus could load into, uh, such a short prayer uh, that, that He gave us as a model, why would He load, uh, given an, a, a, such a significant portion of the prayer, uh, to that? And it's because He knows that we're going to be tempted daily. And he wants us to begin each day with a sensitivity to spiritual warfare so, and, and temptation so that when it happens, as we head out into the day every day, when it happens, we will be prepared uh, for it. We will have settled the issue in our quiet time with God to begin the day of how we're going to handle temptation uh, the decision that we're going to make in the face of it uh, long before we ever actually face it then in the course uh, of, of the day. And, uh, and so when that temptation then comes later in the day, we can look at it and say, well, good morning or good afternoon. I've been expecting you uh, to come my way, and the answer is uh, no. And Jesus instructs us to pray this on a daily basis because it is not just that we would pray it for sensitivity, but because it's a prayer that He actually will answer in our lives. And one way that that final line of the Lord's Prayer can be kind of interpreted is, O oh Lord, keep us from places of needless temptation. Let the opportunity to sin not coincide with the desire to sin. And that's part of what we're praying as we pray that part of the prayer. And so the importance of daily prayer related to temptation. 
May I, also, may I also mention in this context that you notice Joseph's respect for the sanctity of marriage. He's not even married, and, and, he, and he, views, uh, the, he, he, he views marriage and he esteems it so highly, and uh, the, the sanctity of marriage. And, and he did so uh, even though she clearly did not. And if we are not willing to enter into uh, the covenant of marriage uh, with another person and, and then marry them, then we are never to have a sexual relationship with that person because that person belongs and that side of their life belongs to the person who will marry them. And, uh, and uh, it belongs to he or uh, she, uh, that person uh, belongs to someone else. And it's a great thing to go through life and temptations, especially sexual temptation, and to look at another person that may be very, very attractive and all, and to uh, look and say, uh, she does not belong to me. That does not belong to me. That belongs to somebody else. That belongs to the person who will be willing to commit their life to her or him in holy matrimony. The fourth thing we notice here in this same vein of Joseph's reasons for uh, saying no, we notice that uh, Joseph considered this sin, verse 9, to be a great wickedness. And uh, that is how he saw the sin, and this was a critical part of, of, uh, uh, that protected Joseph in this temptation. And of course, we can't help but notice the strength of the word, uh, the uh, wickedness. You don't even hear the word uh, wickedness in our culture anymore. You don't even hear right and wrong in our culture anymore, let alone wickedness, uh, because everything is relative now within our culture. Uh, these kind of words are archaic. I mean, they just never get used. I remember being in a gym, it's been several years ago now, and they got all the TVs up, and uh, there had been a mass murder, mass shooting in Australia, and they were showing th the, the news things, and they had a, uh, a news reporter in uh, Australia describing the events, and uh, he made the point, uh, and he, he uh, declared in, in describing it, he said, a great evil has visited our uh, uh, country today. Well, I almost fell off the treadmill because it had been so long that I had heard a secular person use the word evil to describe anything. And it was like a wake-up call for me how these words and, and this terminology is, is disappearing. And uh, wickedness is a word like that. It just simply isn't used anymore. And we have to remember that just because the, word, uh, the world has ceased to accept and use the word, uh, that we better keep it in our vocabulary as Christians. And we better keep it in, uh, in our hearts and in our minds. 
as a means of assessing uh, temptation in life. And more than that, to put away anything from our lives that would cause us to cease to see as wickedness what God describes in His Word to be wickedness. And, uh, and anything that lowers our resistance to how we view sin or how we re- redefine sin or how we lower the standard of sin and, and, uh, and how we uh, identify it and describe it. So anything that sows to the flesh, anything that causes us to begin to accept the world's definitions of right and wrong or good and evil or wickedness and virtue, uh, anything that wears those standards down in our life, those are things that we need to be uh, very, very aware of and make sure that they're not being successful. The fifth thing that I see here, and there are only six, uh, is that we, in verse 9, we also see in this same vein of Joseph's reasons for saying no, uh, that, that uh, we notice that he declared that doing this great wickedness, it, it wouldn't be right to do to God. And, and that to commit this sin would not only be a sin against uh, Potiphar, but it would also be a sin against God. And what this tells us is that Joseph's relationship with God meant more to him than uh, anything that sin could offer uh, him. And it meant more to him than any sin that the world or the devil or the flesh would offer to him. It also tells us that Joseph was current in his relationship with God. And personally, I think the single greatest safeguard against uh, experiencing a great fall in our Christian lives and in our Christian ministries is to possess a deep, current, present tense, personal relationship with God. And having a relationship with God that means more to me than any sin. And it means more to me than anything that sin would offer uh, to me. Another wonderful saying related to temptation uh, in, in, in this regard is, it takes a passion to conquer a passion. It takes a passion for God uh, to conquer a passion for any sin uh, or temptation in the world. And it's absolutely true. And the key uh, for standing in the face of, of temptation, the key is not to hate sin more, but to love God more, going deeper in our relationship with the Lord. It is the greatest safeguard against uh, sin. And that, that deep personal relationship with the Lord and, uh, and as a safeguard in the midst of temptation, because the hardest thing in the world to sin against is love. And the hardest love to sin against in the world is the love of God for us and the love that He has shown uh, to us and to sin against a relationship that we value and that is precious to us but that we possess 
the, a concern uh, for the God who is also engaged in this relationship with us. And typically, when a pastor commits adultery and is then disqualified from uh, pastoral ministry, and typically there will be other pastors that will come around them if they're desiring to uh, some help in uh, making uh, some progress and headway in, in the disaster that's been produced and in an attempt to maybe salvage their marriage and their family and again the consequences going out in all directions. And uh, I've heard it over and over and over again that uh, when, when uh, someone like a pastor uh, sins in that way, and they begin to kind of do an autopsy for what, where did all of this begin? And, and without exception, it always goes back to the day that he uh, ceased being consistent in his personal time with the Lord, in his relationship uh, with the Lord, and that quiet time. It doesn't mean that he ceased to study the Bible, because that's something that's entirely different. That's for sermons. That's for other things. It ought to be done out of a relationship with God, uh, but it doesn't necessarily, it, it can be done without that. And uh, so uh, all of a sudden, the reading of the Word of God, prayer for the, for the sake of the relationship, goes by the wayside and, uh, and, 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 and it's left out of the way and out of a love for God, out of a personal relationship with God, and a person begins to uh, love the ministry more than uh, we love God. And it isn't just a danger for pastors. It's a danger for every single one of us in, in our lives. The danger to each of us this morning as we listen to this and allow it to search our lives, the danger to us of anything that we love in life uh, more than God, and that certainly includes uh, sin. And the sixth and final thing here that we learn is that there will be times in our lives when temptation will be so great uh, that we will need to physically run from the temptation. And we see that uh, in, in verse 12. And there is in temptation, there is a line in each of our lives when uh, if it is crossed and, and we cross that line, then the flesh and sin will so completely take uh, over our life and, and take us out from under the control of the Holy Spirit that we will then run headlong in toward the sin, we will commit the sin, and then all this left for us is that just afterwards is the terrible feeling of regret and, and the sense of failure and the sense of condemnation. And we all know something about this in our Christian, Christian lives. When I was a, a, a new Christian uh, 40 uh, years ago, there was a ministry uh, that gave away free cassette tapes called, uh, it, it was Firefighters for Christ. And they had a series in there uh, in that, that, uh, uh, that they gave away that was called True Masculine Role by Bob Vernon. I didn't have, I had uh, some good coaches when I was growing up, but I didn't have strong uh, male guidance in my life uh, uh, growing up. So 
this was very helpful for me to have an older Christian man speak things that nobody else had really spoken into my life at that point and, uh, as, as a new Christian. And he, he, was, uh, he had been the police chief of, of Los Angeles, and so I, I listened to it. It was great benefit to me on, on many levels, but in this regard concerning temptation as well. I, I assume they're still available, and I would recommend them to anyone and, and certainly to any, any man. And Bob Vernon uses a simple illustration in there for the point that we're looking at right now and the need to run from temptation. And, and he used the illustration of standing before a Coke machine, and the Coke costs a dollar, and you have four quarters in, in your hand. And he said, you put that first quarter in the slot, and you still have control of the situation. You can hit the coin return lever, it'll go down into the, where you can get it and pull it out and leave. Uh, you put in the second quarter, you still have uh, the same control. You're in more danger, but you still have the same control. And so it is with the third quarter. But the moment a person in that, with that Coke machine puts that fourth quarter in, now you've crossed the line. And now whether you want that Coke or you don't want that Coke, that Coke is going to come down that chute and it's going to be delivered to you. And there is in every temptation, uh, there is that fourth quarter, there is that line that can be crossed, and, uh, and now we have lost control uh, of, of the situation. And thus, the necessity of running from temptation uh, long before I'm down to my last quarter, so to speak, in the midst of that temptation. And one of the things that this teaches us is that if someone is uh, spiritual as Joseph uh, is and was in his life, if someone as spiritual as Joseph found it necessary to run no matter how embarrassing it might look or whatever it might look like to her or anyone else, if he found it necessary to run from temptation, then we can be sure that even the most spiritual among us are going to find ourselves in, in the same place uh, in life, situations that we must run from. And it isn't just sexual sin. Uh, it's a lot of different kinds of things. And so... Uh, the, the necessity of doing that. Of course, the Apostle Paul gave the very instruction to Timothy uh, in, in his life and ministry in, uh, in the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, flee youthful lusts, run for your life in those kind of situations, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I remember hearing uh, many, many, many years ago now a uh, pastor tell a personal story uh, in regard to this running side of, uh, of things. If, uh, it, and it was public, and it uh, was a Calvary Chapel pastor. If I mentioned his name, most of you would uh, recognize it. And uh, if I remember the story correctly, he was a brand new Christian in the midst of the Jesus movement in Southern California. And, in, and got involved with the Calvary Chapel and was part of a co communal home uh, there in Southern California. 
And, uh, and, and one day, all of the men that were in the house, uh, they went out to go street witnessing through the neighborhood and share the gospel with, uh, with people. And so uh, they went out in twos, and he came to an apartment complex, and there was a, a swimming pool in, in the area, and people gathered around the pool, and so an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And uh, so he started to share with a couple women that were sunbathing there. And uh, one of them said to him something like, I could seduce you in five minutes. And, uh, and he uh, protested and said something about being a Christian. And uh, she laughed in his face. And uh, she uh, uh, informed him that she was regularly sleeping with one of the pastors uh, in town. And he continued uh, the discussion with her uh, by saying something uh, the equivalent of, uh, oh yeah? And, <laughs> and uh, at, at which point in time, uh, the, the more Christian, uh, uh, mature Christian of, of the two of them that were out street witnessing, uh, grabbed him by the elbow and hustled him uh, away from the scene. And uh, this is exactly what uh, needed to happen on that scene as, uh, as uh, Joseph shows us. This uh, more mature saint looked at it and said, this is not a situation you argue in the middle of. This is one that you run from. And so whenever in our Christian lives the Holy Spirit says run, then we really need to be obedient to run. You see here how immensely practical uh, the Bible is. People look at the Bible and they say, oh, it's all pie in the sky. It doesn't have anything practical to speak to us at, at, at all. And all a person who says that kind of thing uh, it reveals is that they've never read, uh, read the Bible. And the Holy Spirit, in, 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 in speaking about temptation, we, I'd be negligent if we didn't talk about the fact that the Holy Spirit present within our lives, present upon our lives by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will always supply us in every situation. Uh, the book of Philippians, He will always provide us with the will to do and the power to do of God's good pleasure. He will provide us with the ability, the, the want to, uh, the motivation to do right in God's eyes, and then the power to do that right thing, no matter what the temptation is that we face in life, what the Holy Spirit supplies to us in any temptation is greater than, uh, than the temptation. And uh, so here, uh, but we, we have to bring uh, that willingness to act upon that want to that He gives us and the power uh, that He gives us. And here we have some very, very practical instruction for each of us who desire to live a sexually pure life and uh, desires then to know how to do that. So once again, the importance of not living near the cliff edge of, of sin, the importance of saying no to temptation, uh, not allowing our will to embrace it, the importance of considering the consequences of committing the sin, uh, ahead of time, the importance of esteeming sin to be a great wickedness, the importance of keeping our relationship with God healthy and, and uh, current, 
and the importance of realizing that no matter how spiritual we might be, uh, there will be times when the temptation will be so great, it will be so dangerous that we will need to physically run in order to escape it. And then the importance and boldness and confidence in the person and work of the Holy Spirit within our lives, uh, even in that moment of, of temptation. And just as these things uh, proved to be invaluable in Joseph's life in terms of uh, meeting this temptation, the strength of this uh, temptation uh, head-on, the area of his greatest temptation, enabling him to stand. These very same things will help us to stand in the area of our greatest temptation, uh, even if those tempta- that temptation happens to be something different uh, from Joseph's at that, uh, that moment. And so the thing, same thing is true concerning Joseph. God has a plan for each of our lives that is very, very important in what He is doing. And it's important to protect that, that plan. And so, by the power of His Holy Spirit, may we, as a result of our time in the Word today, uh, be wise concerning temptation and to be ruthless concerning uh, temptation. Let's pray together now. Father, we do thank You for how immensely practical Your Word is. And Lord, certainly concerning me, and I venture to say concerning every single Christian who has heard these words this morning, there is nothing that we do not recognize in Joseph's temptation. There's nothing that we don't recognize in how he dealt with it and the importance of it in our own lives. And we pray for one another and we ask if we have known these things for uh, long years or decades, and in any way we have fallen asleep to these things that you would use our time in your word this morning to reawaken us so we don't get surprised uh, in the near future or any future and the remainder of our pilgrimage. And we pray, Lord, for the men and the women that, that have heard these things for the very first time in their lives. We pray that you would give them a living place in their spirit and in their relationship with you, that you might bring it to their remembrance as they have need for the remainder of their uh, Christian life and ministry as well. And we pray and we ask for this work of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' wonderful, wonderful name.